turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We are finishing a series that we began three Sundays ago, and that series had to do with radical generosity. And we noted that radical generosity does not begin with us. It's not sourced in us. It's not strengthened in us. Radical generosity begins with God. And so that was our premise as we began looking at the basis for radical generosity. And then the second message, uh, and you'll see it there in your booklet, Bert Arrowwood helped us to understand the philosophy of uh, generous giving, how, how to develop a radically generous life. What does that actually look like when we put skin on it and when we put sandals on it and it goes out and, and uh, does life? How does that show up in our lives? And then last Sunday, he took us through the barriers. He introduced us to common barriers. Why is it that it is so hard for us to be radically generous? Why is it so hard for men like myself, preachers, to stand up and exhort God's people on this topic? Why is it so hard? And so he began to walk us through the general barriers to radical generosity uh, in my life and in your life, and I say my life because over the last number of weeks, as we have been speaking on this topic, Bert and I together, to the congregation, God has been speaking to all of us, myself included. Uh, I took the same quiz that you took when Bert gave us that quiz, and, I, and, and that quiz was very revealing to me about my own heart. And even this week, uh, just sitting and preparing for this message, recognizing God, there is work that you need to do in my life. And so the message this morning is not for you. It's, if anybody, it's for me. And we're going to finish our series looking at the beauty and the benefit of grace-enabled, gospel-focused stewardship. Radical generosity. The paragraph that we're looking at in chapter 9, beginning in verse 6 and going all the way down to verse 15, is the most concentrated teaching in the entire New Testament on the topic of giving. It's the place in our Bible where the Holy Spirit concentrated what he had to say in an event and in a circumstance that the Apostle Paul was addressing to people in a church very much like ours, a church at Corinth. And what we're going to discover is something that we have already known. God is asking through the Apostle Paul, he is asking the Corinthian congregation to give so that he could bless them even more abundantly. The two big ideas that I want you to take away from this series are these. Number one, there is compelling beauty in radical generosity. There is something that is compelling when you actually see the beauty of this. And then number two, God intends for this kind of radical generosity to permeate your life and my life. This isn't about your money. It involves your money. It involves my money, but it's more than that. This is to be a way of life. This is, this is to be woven into the gene, into the DNA of a believer's life. And here's the point. When we were born, we were not born as radically generous people. In fact, most of us were not born as generous people. And something has happened to us. Something that came from the heart of God and from the hand of God has completely changed that. And so now you and I have the ability to be radically generous. So let me begin in verse 
uh, 1 of chapter 9. Paul says, It is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. Paul's saying, look, I really don't need to write this chapter to you. It's, it's, it's almost superfluous that, that I would write these. And then he goes and he writes a whole chapter. So I was sitting there reading this text, and I, I read that line, and immediately I'm, well, if it's superfluous, Paul, why did you write a whole chapter? It's not like you just wrote three verses and, and just sort of gave it a lick. And a pro- I mean, he wrote 15 verses, a whole chapter in 2 Corinthians, after saying to these people, now I really don't need to say anything to you. It's superfluous for me to even write these things. So this was not about their giving. In fact, he says to them, I know your readiness, which I boast about. And he says at the end of verse 2, I know your zeal has stirred up others. In verse 3, I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty, so that you may be ready. And down at the end of this section, he says, so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. So what is it that Paul is talking about? Well, obviously, you know the circumstance, and we talked about this at the very beginning of the series. There were a a group of churches in Jerusalem that were in extreme need. A crushing famine had come upon the land. And if you lived in Paul's day, and if you lived in that part of the world, the world revolved, the economy of the world revolved around agriculture. And so when a famine came... It was no small thing. And this famine was so great and had lasted for so long that the entire world was feeling its impact. But in the city of Jerusalem, in the land of Israel, the churches that were there were feeling it in a particular way. And so the pressing need of the suffering churches at Jerusalem and and then motivated by the fact that the churches in Greece Macedonian churches out of their poverty. If you go back to chapter 8, you see this beautiful story of how the churches in Macedonia heard about the need of the churches in Jerusalem and even though they themselves were suffering under poverty, they decided we have to do something. We have to do something about this. And so out of their poverty they gave. And Paul says, now I want you to think about the need of Jerusalem, and I want you to think about the beauty of the example of the Macedonian churches, and now there is apostolic compulsion. Paul says, when when the brothers come, I want you to have the gift ready. And so that's the background here, and Paul is eager for them to fulfill what they had committed to do back in chapter 8. But why does he write a whole chapter to them about this? I mean, it would seem to me, wouldn't it, that if the Apostle Paul is writing to them and he says, now don't forget the churches in Jerusalem are suffering and don't forget what you saw from the churches of Macedonia. And by the way, let me exhort you as the Apostle who came to you to give, don't you think that would be enough? And it actually seems that it would because of how Paul writes the first five verses of chapter 9. So whatever is going on here, there's much more going on than just trying to get a church at Corinth to give a gift. 
There's something that Paul is trying to unlock. There's something that Paul is trying to open uh, to the minds of those who are here. And here's the point. I think what Paul's doing in chapter 9 is moving the heart, he's moving the perspective of the Corinthian believers and our own past the point of just being motivated by the compelling need that they saw. Or by the stunning example of other churches, or even by apostolic exhortation. I think Paul is saying, I want to take your giving deeper than just that. And so how does Paul do that? He makes a statement that paints a powerful image in verse 6. The point is this, and here's the statement. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I think whatever else is going on in the text, that statement is intended to unlock some powerful realities that will change our life and will help us become radically generous. Beyond just seeing a need, or beyond just being motivated by somebody else's example, or even by just strict command, I think this statement is intended to help us to become radically generous as a person or to become radically generous as a congregation. So let's look at the image that Paul has painted in this statement. The image would have been familiar to every one of Paul's readers living in a world where agriculture drove a vast portion of the economy through the Roman Empire. So you can see here is a man walking up and down a field, and he has a seed bag around his shoulder. And as he walks up and down the field, he plunges his hand deeply into that bag and fills them to overflowing. And he brings his hands out, and he casts that seed broadly and widely everywhere, liberally and without restraint. And he does this because he knows that the more seed he casts, and the broader he casts the seed, the stronger the possibility of a rich harvest growing up. So the more seed he sows, the richer and fuller will be the harvest. This is the image the Holy Spirit picked when he wants us to think about radical generosity. The seed that we are scattering are the resources that we have. And the scattering is the giving of how or the deployment of those resources. But here's the point. The resources that we are scattering out of the seed bag are the very resources that we need to stay alive. I mean, to the outward eye, this image makes very little sense. I mean, why would somebody take the hard-earned resources that he desperately needs himself and scatter them liberally and generously, that, that would appear, at least to my mind, and possibly to a lot of yours, that would appear to be the, the height of foolishness. I mean, I could see giving a little bit. I, I could see if I have extra or surplus, but why would I take the, the resources that I desperately need to feed my own family or to provide for my own comfort? Why would I take those resources and scatter them? when there's no compulsion to do so. Why would I do that? Why would the Holy Spirit 
paint this picture for a person like me with a question like that. And here's the point. Either this man is a fool or he knows something I don't. When you see somebody doing with their resources what this man is doing with his seed, either he is a fool or he knows something that I don't. And so what is it that he knows? And what he knows is this. God is a generous giver. God is generous. We have a generous God. And this God supplies what we have in our bag. In other words, whatever we're giving away is something that this generous God has already given. He is the one who supplies the seed to the sower. That the sower is going to actually disperse. And as he supplies seed to the sower, he also gives bread for food. He supplies what I need to give and disperse And at the same time, he is making sure I have the food, the resources that I need personally to stay alive. That is exactly what Paul wants this passage to communicate to you. When we talk about radical generosity, and when we talk about taking the much-needed supplies that we have that God has given to us, that we need for our own food and for our own comfort, God says, now wait a minute, Don't forget who I am. I am a generous God. And I am the one who gives you seed for sowing. And I am the one, in the midst of giving you seed for sowing, I am also the one who gives you bread for food. The word bread there is really the word that you would use in New Testament times to talk about the things you needed. It was was sort of a stand-in for everything that you needed in life. God knew that you needed clothing. He knew that you needed lodging. He knew that you needed food to eat. And all of that came together around this image of bread. God says, I'm going to take care of all of that. He actually says that outrightly, doesn't he? When he says, don't spend your life scurrying about for the things that people who don't know me spend their life scurrying about. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God And the God of that kingdom who knows what you need will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory. So, let's unpack this image together. And let's start with the biblical principle that supports radical generosity. And you can see it in verse 6. Paul says, the point is this. The point is this. God loves a cheerful giver. And you could say it this way. The point the text is making is that as you sow, you reap. How you sow determines what you reap. God is not advocating, or Paul rather, is not advocating that that in giving we somehow earn righteousness or we earn favor. He He is giving a very different point. He is saying that there is a kind of giving that determines what we reap. So reap bountifully and not sparingly. You'll see two slides uh, coming up here that that sort of picture the idea. Here you are, and you have a bag full of resources that God has given, and you've got to decide what you're going to do with those resources. And Paul says there are two ways to do it. You can sow sparingly. 
or you can sow bountifully. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. If you had to look at the way you are deploying the resources God has given to you, which of those two pictures would describe you? Which of those two pictures would best describe the way that you approach bountiful giving or radical generosity? Which of those two pictures uh, sort of paints that picture for you? And the reason I, I say that is because that is the image the Holy Spirit picked. I didn't pick the image of a sower. That's the, when, when God wants me to think about radical generosity, that's the inspired image he put in the text. And so how does it affect me when I look at the way I reach into my bag and pull out the seed that God put in there? Do I, do I hold on to that seed and just allocate it out one seed at a time? Or am I radically generous with it? And you and I both know that one of those two pictures is going to describe us. So there is a principle that supports this. Then there are attitudes that shape our radical generosity. It's not just that we throw our seed out there in obedience to God. God is not advocating the idea that we do this just out of compulsion or because um, we, we, we want God's blessing on our life. He is looking for a heart that is delighted and eager and ready to participate in the opportunities that comes to pass. And you can see this, can't you, in the text. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And then look at verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now I want to point out two things in that text. Number one, there is a command to give. There is a command to give. You know, sometimes I sort of excuse my heart uh, by saying, well, you know, I'm not going to give today because I'm not really happy about it. I don't have a cheerful heart, and because I don't have a cheerful heart, and God doesn't want uh, my, my heart to be unhappy when I give, therefore I'm excused to give. And that's not the point. I mean, all through the texts, that we've been reading going all the way back to this gift that the Corinthians are being exhorted to give, Paul uses language that is, that is language of commandment. He is saying, you must give. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, he exhorts them, he commands them to participate in this gift. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give. The idea there is that we're not excused from giving just because our heart is not right with the Lord. That's not the point. Paul is not saying you can't give unless your heart is right. He is saying you must give and your heart must be right when you give. And so I want to make sure we understand that the condition of our heart does not excuse us from a command that God has given. Oftentimes our children will say to us, no, I, I didn't do that because uh, I, I didn't really feel right about it. And you're going, I don't care how you felt about it. I gave you a command. And so here's a command that God has given. And as we noted in our very first time, as we looked at this topic together, we noted that God commands us to give. This is part of how God grows us, and it is part of God's design for ministry. 
But here in this text, he's taking us way beyond rote obedience to the kind of attitudes that come into our life. And so as you give, Paul says, your attitude matters to God. There are three wrong attitudes that are identified for us here in the text. Look at verse 5. Paul says, do not give your gift out of a, a heart that is marked by covetousness. And the way you recognize covetousness in your heart is through a word that we, our English word, stingy. You know, when we talk about somebody who is stingy, we're talking about somebody, and when you ask them for something, they might give you something, but you know that as they gave you that thing, they have so much more capacity to give, and they just gave you that thing to kind of give you something so that that they could say they gave, but they would rather not have given the thing that they gave. And Paul says, when you give to God, don't let covetousness boundary your gift. As you decide what to give, don't let your desires for other things that you want or that you would enjoy or that you've planned for boundary off the gift that God is moving in your heart to give. Don't let your gift be affected by covetousness. Don't let it be sparingly marked by tight-fistedness. I'm going to hang on to this. And you can see how one comes out of the other in verse 5. There is this covetousness that, that makes it seem like I'm extracting the gift. I've got to pull it out. God says, I've got to pull this out of you. And, 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 and finally, you loose a little bit of, of it, and, and, but your hand is tight. Your hand is tight-fisted around the thing that God is asking you to give. You can see that in verse 6. You reap bountifully or you reap sparingly. And if you reap sparingly, it's because you held on to the seed and you just let one out at a time. And that describes, according to Paul, the way often we are motivated to give. And then in verse 7, not reluctantly marked by internal grief. Look at verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. The idea there is full of internal grief. I can't believe I'm having to say goodbye to this. I had such plans for this. I had intended to use it for here. I had saved up for this, and now God is asking me for this. And and yes, I'm going to give it, and I'm going to give all of it, but there is this internal grief as I let the gift go. And Paul says, now as you give, those three attitudes should not mark your heart because that is not what radical generosity looks like. It looks like this. It looks like eagerness that comes out of generosity that is bountiful, that is marked by joyful readiness to participate. Paul says to the Corinthians, when you see what God is going to do with your gift, you are going to wish you had given more. When you see what comes because of the radical generosity that you gave, when, when I unpack by the end of verse 15, when you see what has happened, not only are you going to thank God that he gave you to give, you are going to wish you had more to give. This is not God trying to guilt you into giving. This is not me trying to guilt you into giving to this ministry at PBC. There's something much bigger so there are attitudes that mark our giving. Now, let me ask you this. When I think about 
all of the pressures that are on my life. And you have them too. Uh, you know, Bert mentioned the cost of eggs last week. How many of you heard him say that? I had no idea what eggs cost. I had no clue what he was talking about because I don't buy eggs at our house. I just eat them. <clears throat> Somebody else buys, I eat. <clears throat> so I started looking up the cost of eggs. Unbelievable. We're becoming an egg-free house. And probably some of you. I was at lunch this weekend, or this week rather, at uh, a restaurant run by a Christian. And I said, so talk to me about eggs. And he just went, oh. He said, you won't believe how much eggs cost. And I'm like, yeah, what actually I heard about it in church. I sounded so like up to speed on on like the cost of goods and services. And, you know, thanks to Bert Arrowwood, so do you. It's not just eggs. You know, it's been amazing to me. God has been at work in your hearts through this series, and many of you have reached out to us. You've reached out to Bert, you've reached out to me, and we've had conversations. And, and he, can I just give you a conversation I had? Pastor, I, I, I want to do more. I, I, I'm having trouble even doing what I'm doing because of what, what's happened to our budget. Our budget has increased for some of you, it's $400. Some of you, it's $800. For some of you, it's more every month that you weren't spending a year ago. You weren't spending the kind of money you're spending on gas. You weren't spending the kind of money you're spending on eggs. You weren't spending the kind of money you're spending on baby food. You weren't spending the kind of money you're spending on whatever it is that you need to stay alive. And then you come to a church like ours, and you hear two guys get up and talk about radical generosity. And if you're like me, if we're honest, God, I want to. I just don't know how. I, I have no clue what to do. And that's why there's a reality in verses 8, 9, and 10 that Paul puts in play to enable the kind of radical generosity that he's talking about, especially when the people he's talking to are experiencing their own poverty. The giving that he's talking about is a giving that is going to come from people that are in poverty. And so there is a reality that enables radical generosity. Let me have you move the slide up one, and we'll see that uh, radical generosity comes out of a reality. And the reality is this. God is the one who gives strength that you and I need for this kind of radical generosity. Look at verse 8. God is able. The word able is the word capable. It's the word for strength and ability. God has the capacity and the ability, and he's going to take all of that capacity and all of that ability, and he's going to do something with it with regard to you. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to make all grace abound. He's going to make all grace abound so that you will have all sufficiency in all things at all times so that you can abound in this good work. Here's the reality. If you want to be radically generous, God is saying to you, if you will trust me, I will supply 
the capacity that you need in order to do this. And not only will I give you the strength, I'll actually give you the resources. Look at verse 9, or verse uh, uh, 9 here, or verse 10 uh, in the text. Verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. This is a quote out of Psalms. And so, if you remember, when we looked at this quote, way back at the beginning of our series, I said to you, this is not talking about God. This person that's being described in verse 9 is a righteous man. He is the one who distributes freely. He gives to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. But how does he do this? Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I mean, that's really the truth, isn't it? God is the source of our generosity. And there is a truth that undergirds all of this. There is a truth that compels this. Look, if you will, at verse 13. Paul talks about people receiving the gift, glorifying God because of your submission. And that submission, this radical generosity that is coming out of you, is coming from your confession, something you really believe with regard to the gospel of Christ. The generosity that comes out of the Corinthians for the people in Jerusalem is is not coming because Paul is commanding them. It's not coming because Paul is guilting them. It's not coming uh, because they are super, super wealthy. It's coming in spite of all of these things. It's coming because of something they are, are absolutely convinced of in the gospel and they are submitting to the needs of others in light of the gospel. And here's what, here's what they have found. They have found that, that the gospel reveals something about God. God is the ultimate giver. God is the ultimate giver. You are either going to see God as a taker, or you're going to see God as a giver. I mean, you're either going to see God as a taker, or you're going to see God as a giver. And, and I've got these two dumb pictures up there because it's the only thing I could think of that would illustrate this. So if you've got a better image, put it in your mind. But if you see God as a giver, your hand is going to be open and, and you're going to willingly receive what he has given you. And as you see God as a giver, that, that motivates you to realize he is always this way. I will never lack. There will always be seed. As I scatter the seed that he has given me, I can keep going back into the bag because there is always more seed in the bag. He is the one who is taking the responsibility to supply the seed that you and I need to give. But if I don't see God that way, if I see God as a taker, and I'm going to hold on to everything I have, and I'm going to hold on as long as I can and as hard as I can because I see God is constantly taking God wants 10% of my income. I have no idea. How in the world I'm going to survive? And then some helpful preacher gets up and tells me, well, 100% belongs to God, so you should be thankful. And I am thankful, but I have no clue how I'm going to buy eggs with 90% of what's left. And I see God as this taker. 
And so when I give, I give because I don't want to get judged. I don't want God to do something bad in my life. I, I, I want to be able to say I'm obedient. I want to walk around with a guilty conscience every time I open up my, my wallet. So I'm going to figure out the exact number of what 10% is. It's, it's $9.49.2. So I'm rounding down to $9.41. And when you do that, and I do that, we see God as a taker. But when you see the gospel, the gospel is a very different picture. God is a giver. And He always gives. There is never a lack. God is not asking us to give because He needs our stuff. And He's a little short this month. So if He's not asking us to give for that, what is he up to? And, and that's the next thing you see in the text. There is a rich harvest. God is inviting you to share it. There is this stunning harvest that grows from radical generosity. The one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, that's God. He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, he's inviting you to participate in something that he's growing in the world. And what he's growing in you, and what he's growing through you, and what he's growing around you, and ultimately what he's growing because of you is a harvest. And the harvest is righteousness. You can see the nature. This is a harvest uh, of righteousness that endures it's not just fleeting. It's not just momentary. It actually endures. And it, its extent is this. It expands. It goes beyond you. And the result of all of this is that around the world, because of people like us, scattering the seed that God has given us, producing righteousness from that seed, there is thanksgiving that goes to God because of this. And therefore, the objective of the harvest is the glory of God. And the effect of it is this. When God is thanked and God is glorified because of something that you do, the Holy Spirit perfects righteousness in you. In other words, you grow and I grow. Why is that? And that's the last thing we'll look at this morning. The reason that all of this happens is because of where Paul's been going. This is ultimately where Paul is going. There is immense power and stunning beauty that happens when believers, out of their poverty, are radically generous. And here's one of the things that happens. When you and I are radically generous, the way the Corinthians were, Paul says, let me show you something that happens. This kind of generosity has immense power to restore broken relationships. Look at, look at how Paul talks about this. Look at verse 13. By their approval of this service, that's the churches in Jerusalem, they will glorify God because of your submission. Verse 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Listen very carefully to this next point. The churches in Jerusalem had been very critical of the churches in Macedonia and the churches in Achaia and the churches at Corinth. They had been judgmental of them. They had literally divided. Romans 14 and 15 is the story of the great division that came because believers in Jerusalem 
did not believe that believers in the Gentile world were fully obedient to God. And there was a radical division and a deep divide. And Paul's saying, listen, because of your gift, those people in Jerusalem that were critical and were alienated for you are actually going to long for you. And they're going to give thanks for you. And there is a restoration that happens out of the radical generosity that comes out of the poverty of the people giving the gift that these people desperately need. There's something powerful that happens when you mirror the radical generosity of God towards somebody with whom you were alienated. It's a stunning thing. And then notice the other thing that happens It's not just powerful to restore broken relationships. It's stunning beauty portrays who God is and what God is like. Notice how Paul ends all of this. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. What is that surpassing grace? And Paul identifies it in verse 15 in this way. It is an inexpressible gift that God has given The word inexpressible occurs only a few times in Greek literature. This is the only time this particular term occurs. It has a secondary term that occurs in other texts in Scripture, but here it means there is a gift that God has given you, and when you go to try to describe it, you run out of words. When you see the beauty of this gift, and you see its stunning power to reconcile alienated people to God, and you realize the beauty of this, and then you go and you try to explain it to somebody, uh, you, you, you can, and you say, well, it's this and it's that, and the preacher is like, you know, you know, actually, you just need to see it. You just need to go see it yourself. Because I, I can't really tell you. I mean, because I'm excited about it, and I can tell as you're watching me talk, you're going, I, I, okay, yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm glad you know. That's awesome. I'm glad you saw that. And, and I'm, I'm obviously not communicating well to you, so you need to go see this yourself. Paul says, there is an inexpressible gift. It is God sending His Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to what? To save the world. It is that Son coming into the world and who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. And Paul reminds us, like he reminded the Corinthians, He became poor so that we could become what? What's the word? Rich. Can we say that together? He became poor so that we could become rich. Can we do it one more time? I want you to grasp this. He became poor so that we could become rich. And the richness is not just the little tiny petty dollars and cents we have in our pockets. It's a much, much grander richness. And God wants to take that richness and He wants to grow that richness in the world and He wants to use you in the process. What should we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Listen to the next statement that Paul makes. He who did not spare 
God did not sow sparingly. When Jesus departed from heaven, God did not hang on to him and say, you can't go. He didn't grip with a tight fist. God open-handedly sent his son. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We have a radically generous God. And because we are in his likeness, we should ourselves be radically generous. So how do we end a sermon like this? How do we respond? Well, I know this. God gets immense glory when we, his people, practice radical generosity. It it perfects righteousness in us. It promotes righteousness around us. He gets immense glory, but he also gets immense pleasure when his people practice radical generosity because it confirms what they truly believe about him. I, I really believe I have a generous God. I really believe that he will give me everything I need for life and godliness. I really need know that he will supply. I really believe he will supply seed in my bag for sowing. And so I'm going to practice radical generosity. And so here's what I'd like for us to do as a church. I'd like you to pray about two things. I'd like you to make two commitments for this coming year. If you are not regularly giving out of your income, whatever it is, I'm not asking you for an amount, whatever it is, this could be different for every individual. If you are not regularly giving out of your income to the ministry that God is doing here at Palmetto Baptist Church, would you say to the Lord, Lord, I want to become radically generous, and here's the first thing I want to do. I want to, be, I want to become obedient in this way. I want to become regular in my giving. Maybe you're going to give weekly. Maybe you're going to give bi-weekly. Maybe you're going to give monthly. People give here in any number of ways. They give through the offering boxes on the doors on the way out. They mail things in. Most people here give through uh, our app or they, they, they become regular givers uh, online. And we would encourage all of you who, who give to, to continue using those formats. But maybe you're here and you aren't yet a giver. Maybe you're a college student. You say, I don't really have a lot. Or maybe you're a high school student here and you I, I don't know that I, I have a lot. Well, whatever it is you have, are you willing to regularly give out of what you have a small piece back to the Lord? That's, that's question number one that I want you to pray about. That's the first question on the card. If you notice the card, it says this, I am ready to take the next step in my spiritual growth and give regularly to Palmetto Baptist Church. That's our little way of saying, would you be willing to take the first step toward radical generosity and go into the gifts that God is giving you and say, I'm going to give some of that back to God on a regular basis. Second step would be this. If you're already giving regularly and you are in obedience to what Paul is talking about here, would you be willing to say, God, I don't have more to give, but if you supply more, I will give it. Lord, if you supply so that what I want to give, I can give, then I'm going to take you at your word. You supply the seed, and so, Lord, if you give me a desire to up my giving or to give a special gift, then, Lord, you're going to have to supply the seed. You know how much eggs cost. You know what's going on in my budget. So if if you want me to give more, would you graciously supply more? And if God supplies the seed in your bag, you say to the Lord, Lord, I'll give that. I'll give that. And that's what the second question is. 
I'm, I am ready to take a step of faith and ask God to provide so that I can increase my regular giving or give a special gift. And this is not because we are trying to earn favor with God. This is not because in some way uh, we're going to become more obedient to God or more, more, uh, more blessed by God. This is simply because we have a generous God and we want to be like Him. So I want you to take this card and I want you to pray about it over the next two weeks. We're going to come back. And we'll talk about it next week. And the following week, we're going to take up the cards. We're, I'm, don't put your name on it. This is just between you and God. And you're saying to God, God, I'm going to take the first step of obedience and become a regular giver. Or you're going to say, God, I am a regular giver, but, but you've put on my heart, I want to do more. And so I'm going to trust you. And if you supply, I will give. And, and that ought to be part of what every one of us does. Moms and dads, this is a great way for you to show and grow the faith of your sons or daughters. College students, this is a great step for you to take because this is what God is doing in the world. He is growing a heart of radical generosity. It is our faith in action. Let's pray together. Shall we, Lord, thank you for your radical generosity. Lord, it seems almost so petty for us to talk about our financial resources when you have given us your son. You did not close your hand tightly around your son. You did not let him slip reluctantly from your grasp. You sent him into this world. Eagerly did he come for the joy set before him. And out of that gift came a harvest of righteousness. And a small part of that harvest this morning. Lord, we we thank you that as a harvest of righteousness that you have produced in our lives, gathered here this morning, we get to participate in what you're doing around the world and what you're doing through this ministry. Lord, we realize in the Old Testament you set a pattern for providing for the resources that the temple and the tabernacle needed. And and that pattern is carried into the New Testament for the local church. And so as we give, we give not just to give, but we give for the work you are doing in us and through us and among us right here at Palmetto Baptist. So thank you for letting us partner with you. And more than that, thank you for giving us the resources we need to partner. And so as we pray about this, would you move in our hearts? Would you do a work in us? Would you make us radically generous like you? And we'll thank you in Jesus' name.